Hello, wonderful listeners. Welcome back to another exciting episode. I'm Arvind Sareen, CEO and Chairman of Copper Digital. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce you to a remarkable guest who wears many hats in the world of mental health and beyond. Our guest is a licensed psychotherapist, entrepreneur, and advocate for mental health. Currently practicing in both Colorado and California, his journey has been nothing short of remarkable. From his graduate studies at the University of Michigan to working in diverse settings such as inpatient and outpatient hospitals, community mental health clinics, and nonprofits. He's a trailblazer in the mental health space and recently ventured into the digital realm with the Para program, which I can't wait to learn more about, an online course aiding those grappling with panic attacks, an advocate, entrepreneur, and globetrotter. He brings a unique blend of experiences to our podcast. Without further ado, let's welcome Ryan DeCook. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Fantastic. Well, let's begin with what inspired you to transition from a tech startup in HR to becoming a licensed psychotherapist specializing in trauma and anxiety disorders. Yeah, so I think there are a few things that kind of came together around that time for me. Um, I mean, I had already been doing the work in South Africa and a lot of that was directly working with people and helping and serving people. And um, then I kind of got in the business world and I realized I was uh, kind of informally finding myself in a lot of like counseling type positions. And as an HR, it's easy to yes. find myself always just, yes. that's awesome. Okay. Casting out company drama and with people, listening <laughs> to people, you know, complain and things like that. And um and it was also a really intense environment too. And I got to a point where um, a few years in where I just was feeling pretty burned out and kind of hit a wall and was like, I need to make a change. And so I knew I was going to leave. And I did that, took some time off, did some traveling. And um, I think that burnout and kind of my own dip in mental health caused me to pursue a lot more mental health services for myself, doing some therapy and things like that. And um, as I was kind of on my own journey and learning more about the brain and mental health, I was really excited about that. And um, so I kind of, you know, was thinking about my past and all these sort of natural ways I've been in these like counseling type positions and thinking about just my natural skills and gifts was like, I think that's all kind of converging to come together and point me in this direction to go become a therapist for myself. So that was when I started making plans and looking at grad schools and things like that. Wow. No, that is so inspiring because I feel like everyone sort of goes through this journey where they have a little bit of a burnout and, you know, then they look for maybe how to maximize happiness and find meaning. Um, and a lot of people go on this search, you know, maybe through meditation, maybe through following some influencers. Um, but I think you went above and beyond and got an actual degree and went to school to become a therapist, which is commendable and super inspiring. I love that. Um, Thank you. You launched the Para program to aid those with panic attacks. What yeah. prompted this and how does the online course extend mental health support beyond traditional clinics bringing sure. unique benefits? Yeah, great question. Um, well, I, as I've gotten into the mental health and made it through grad school and started doing my, um, you know, we, we have to do like thousands of hours before we get fully licensed and then we get license and keep practicing. So all through that process, I found myself, um, I was actually working in a hospital system for a while and um, 
kind of fortuitously found myself positioned in running a group for people who struggle with panic attacks and kind of ended up running that program for that department, for that psychiatry department and kind of got in and fixed up and uh, developed a new curriculum. And so I worked with, through that group and individual clients, like uh, probably hundreds of people that have struggled with panic attacks and just heard story after story and got a lot of insight on what that is like for people and how scary that is and intense and how much it can really just um, sidetrack someone's life. And really what it does for a lot of people, it really shrinks their life, that it makes them feel like they can do less and less and avoid things more and more and can just have such a big impact. So I I really love learning about it. I, I love working with and learning about anxiety and panic because every human being actually has a anxiety and panic system sort of wired into it, uh, like a fight or flight system wired into it. So it's a very human experience, actually. Um, And there's a lot of ways we can work with it and actually help it in significant ways if we go about it the right way. So just learning those things over the years, um, I just got more and more excited about it. And then, you know, but I am limited as a therapist that I can only see, you know, so many people a week in individual sessions. And um, so I decided to look into doing a course so I could kind of take all of those skills, all those tools that I teach people over a course of, you know, let's say a year of individual therapy or nine months of individual therapy and put it all together in a more compact package and kind of get it out to more people to help more people. Um, And so just kind of getting it in the hands of more people that need it. I mean, it it is wild that um, it's about a quarter of all people in their lifetime will have a panic attack. Um, Oh, I was uh, wondering that, okay, so a quarter of the entire population would have a panic attack over their entire lifetime. And that's, that's, wow, that's a lot of people. (laughs) I mean, it is super common for people to have panic attacks. And it, I mean, a lot of people don't know what it is, or it's so intense and terrifying, confusing. And a lot of people think it's a heart attack or a stroke so intense that way and so a lot of people actually end up in the emergency room or doctor visits and um so it's actually a very expensive medical problem too in the world um so so it's something that yeah i i really just want to offer people a a place where they can learn about it because education is so empowering and then some tools that can help them feel more comfortable, more at ease, find more calm, find more confidence again. Um, Cause a lot of people, it damages their confidence to do life. And um, so, yeah. No, it's uh, definitely really amazing that you're working in this field. Um, so Ryan, you worked in both inpatient and outpatient hospital settings, right? So yeah. how do you see the balance shifting between traditional clinical settings and online platforms in delivering mental health care specifically? Yeah. Well, I think the outpatient space has significantly moved since since COVID in the direction of online and mental uh, mental health care. I saw a study recently that was, um, it wasn't like a countrywide, but it was a significant number of clinicians that were studying. It was, I think it was 75% offered telehealth services now. Uh, I don't know if that was only telehealth, but at least some offering of online. Um, so it's significant how fast it's shifted in the last like four years um, in that direction. And I know that um, for a lot of people, that's been a great thing. Like they're excited. I have I have people I work with because I, I only do telehealth. Um, okay. Right? Um, and so I work with a lot of people that probably would have not stepped the d- 
step through the door of mental health services without that being the case. Like they love, they can be in their car on their lunch break at work, or they can be in their living room at home. They feel a little bit more safe that there's a screen in between the therapists and them. Um, so a lot of people love it. I know there are people that really love the in-person dynamic. Um, and so they uh, find it a little bit harder to find in, in-person services sometimes. That that has become tougher in the outpatient services. Um, I don't know if it's changed um, inpatient too much because you still have to be in-person and those are the most like severe cases usually. Um, it, it has allowed it you know, more access to like, like when I was working at inpatient, they were using telehealth and tablets to like collaborate with family members, right? So family wouldn't have to come all the way into the hospital. You could have a family meeting with the tablet right there or things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you still have to have the building and the in-person component. And there are certain cases, especially if like someone's severely suicidal or having, you know, severe hallucinations or something, they need to be in person and like an outpatient telehealth probably isn't really appropriate for that level, for the level of care that they need. So um, outpatient definitely swinging that way, but inpatient um, still is kind of steady with some of the core of what, what it needs to be. Makes sense. Makes sense. No, that's a good example. If someone's got really an acute uh, challenge, then of course, it's much better, you know, for them to see somebody in person and not access, you know, the yeah. virtual platforms. But is it also the other way? Like, are there some cases where, like, you know, like you said, maybe that screen gives that additional, you know, protection against that vulnerability that comes with having this experience as well, I guess. Uh, so, but are there others? I wonder, because um, I was also talking to a speech therapist and they have uh, obviously, you know, the, the telehealth component to it. And a lot of the kids really like um, doing that speech therapy, you know, just uh, on a computer screen. It's like a game for them, you know, say this or say that. And then, and, and I feel like also, of course, for people that are in remote areas, it's just, um, you know, such a boon to uh, have access to mental health, which otherwise I don't think it would be possible for them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love it. I'm a big proponent of it. Um, and, you know, we haven't done away and I don't think should do away with all this, you know, make everything 100% digital at this stage. But um, I think it offers so much benefit. Um, and I don't think there, there's much drop off in terms of outcomes. If if there was, I wouldn't be doing it. Um, but from what I've seen, there's you can still get great outcomes in terms of mental health with with through the telehealth platforms. Yeah, got it. Got it. So as healthcare becomes more patient-centric, how can technology empower individuals to actively participate in managing their mental health? And do you have any examples from your practice? Yeah. So I think that um, there there are more tools, there are more opportunities. I'd say like right now, what I've seen is like there's, um, you know, a lot of tools that are kind of like ad hoc or like the add-ons, right? Like it, you can make some, you know, I can in two seconds send someone a link to the video I want them to watch that week, or I can give them the download link for this app that gives them the meditations or mindfulness exercises that that they need that just makes it accessible and then they have it in their pocket on their phone or on their tablet or computer or whatever. 
So I think that's great. I think um, one of the things I'm excited about with like AI potentially, you know, getting more and more integrated into our lives and into mental health care is um, the ability to help prompt and remind people because I think so much about mental health and work in that field, it, it relates to patterns we have, a pattern of thought, pattern of reaction, pattern when a behavior, when this thing happens and, and there are things that are ingrained in our brain. So a lot of work is slow and subtle over time of developing new patterns. And that takes a lot of diligence. That takes a lot of reminding, a lot of keeping it visible. And that's one thing that I think like AI can hopefully become and some of these tools could become more helpful as like prompts and reminders for clients of like, hey, here here's the plan for the week, some stuff you'd wanted to work on, or here's your meditations for the week or your um, you know, your worksheet, and here's the reminders. And so it can help hopefully help bring higher levels of engagement. Um, and then along with that, higher levels of new habit building that's gonna positively impact. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. I think um, the like, but there needs to be some sort of a close feedback loop, meaning like, let's say we come up with um, an AI based notification for whenever we think that the user would or the patient would benefit the most from, you know, a reminder. But yeah. then like, what is the data that's being fed into it? I think that maybe that requires um, some notes from the the therapist or perhaps access to some other data on the phone and that can be done securely but i yeah. think there needs to be still some uh, close feedback loop i mean and and i feel like this is uh gaining popularity across the board meaning not just for mental health but even something like learning a new language that would help a lot um you know if you could have that patient centric uh, ai based notifications i love that idea would and what's where it gets exciting or really helpful i think is like um with because you're talking about like what prompts the notification or what prompts like, hey, use this coping skill. And there is more technology that's been worked on around like, um, you know, like sentiment and voice recognition or um, certain biomarkers or things like that. So there can start to be, and, and this is very, you know, this isn't widespread yet, but exciting for the future to think about of like, what if you could know that someone's heading into a manic episode or they're right at the precipice of a manic episode or how, or a depressive episode, or they're, you know, tending towards patterns of the last time they were suicidal or they're trending towards a panic attack. Right. Um, and then with those markers or that sentiment analysis or whatever it is could then prompt that notification and catch them hopefully before they head into the peak of some of those things that that could be really powerful. Super. And yeah, that could be integrated with our Apple watches and, you know, yeah. have those vitals. I mean, I think there may be a time soon when there could be more of those biomarkers as well that could be available except for just, you know, the yeah. basics. Um, so, oh, that's, um, that's super fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, in adopting new technologies, how do you strike a balance between innovation and ethical considerations, particularly in ensuring patient privacy and data security? Because, you know, we talk about giving access to our phones, or maybe there's an AI that's aware of your mood, like you said, based on your voice. And then yeah. there could be that setting. I mean, that opens up a lot of um, possibilities for, you know, these types of uh, data breaches and and so how do we strike that balance yeah it's a great question i i mean um i would say the i mean the first thing that comes to mind and because this is big in our field is consent 
right? So informed consent so that people really clearly know what they're signing up for and what they're giving to, right? So you're not only just saying like, here's what it is, here's how it could benefit you, but you're also giving like a picture of like, here's some of the risks with your data or here is, you know, depending who it is, if they're going to sell your data, they should tell you they're going to sell your data to someone. Right. And, um, but in a very clear way. So I think, I think really obvious consent is, is important. Um, I think also quality research is important, right? Cause we can, we can advance technologically, but we also need to validate stuff. And I think that is definitely a challenge. And even in the mental health field is like, um, and, and in a lot of fields, but technology outpaces research a lot of times in terms of like validation of outcomes and things like that. Like I remember, um, when I was at university of Michigan, I was doing some work on like, um, these different centers with mental health centers around the country. And they were presenting some of their research, uh, at one, one event I went to, and it was like a cognitive behavioral therapy website that looked like it was from like 10 to 15 years ago. And they were producing their results on the outcomes of that website. And I was thinking, man, we're, we're researching like 10 to 15 years ago. And so like, I think, um, research definitely needs to be a big part to make sure what we're putting out there is safe. It's effective. It's going to help people, but finding, finding a way to like close the gap on that time window of how, how much research can sometimes lag behind. And, um, maybe that is some, and I don't know, but maybe that's something AI could help with too, of like finding ways to speed up, um, the process of, um, you know, of studies and scientific studies and ways to validate and research, um, technology more quickly. Um, but I think those are the two things that come to mind for me is really just like the consent and then the research to like support some of these evolutions to make sure it is safe for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, consent definitely and, and research too. I see your point there. And I think what might, and I, I'm usually not very much about regulations, but I think there could be some regulations that might also help because, I mean, even if you get consent, like you shouldn't be, you know, getting that personally identified, you know, information to, um, you know, should you shouldn't be selling that at all, like at any point. So, I think there can be maybe some some guidelines around that too. But I also feel like different people have different levels of privacy. I mean, I am on 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 the side where I just, you know, haven't really cared that much, but I'm, you know, I'm also guilty of then, you know, a lot of times having uh, you know, some leaks as well and and um so but what's your take on this um like where where are you on on that you know uh, spectrum of being extremely cautious versus you know just letting anyone uh, you know being super transparent so for me personally where am i at on that yeah yeah just wondering yeah i think um i kind of probably somewhere in the middle i i'm definitely someone that like i am interested by new technologies or like kind of exploring something or being willing to sign up you know give give my consent um i'm also someone that like most of the time when a website pops up and they give me the cookie settings like i'm usually going to take the extra 10 seconds to click in the settings and turn off all the unnecessary cookies <laughs> and so so i try and try and strike a balance like i'm definitely not someone that i'm anti-technology and no one's going to have any of my data ever or um because it i mean if you want to learn or experience new technologies it's almost impossible to to take that mindset. But, um, there are still some things for me that I'm like, I still want to have some control or some things I can turn off if, 
or not consent to if I if I don't want to. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, that um, that sounds logical to me. So, okay. Well, looking ahead, what specific technological advancements do you believe will be game changers in mental health care and how might they revolutionize the treatment approaches? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the one we've been touching on and everyone's excited about AI obviously is um, hot topic. And I think there can be some pieces where that could really um, play in. I think there's few aspects around where that can affect treatment. Um, I think I think it starts out with um, and because it's already happening, it's not wide, widespread or ubiquitous, but it's um, being used and diagnostically, I think there's great power in how um, you know effectively we can understand what's going on with someone. And that's um, taking self-reported information from people, that's taking um, you know results from questionnaires that could potentially be starting eventually to include some of the biomarkers we were talking about and starting to give um, clinicians some really powerful uh, tools to to really be spot on with what's going on with people. I think there's some real power um, there. I think um, there's some opportunity around, um, along with that, some treatment planning, right? I think like there can be some uh, powerful recommendations of treatment, um, you know, pre, pre-populated, well, not pre-populated, but um, once the uh, processing gets the information from people, gets the diagnosis, gets all the inputs, then could come up with a tailored uh, treatment plan for someone and kind of present that to the therapist of like, um, here's what we recommend, or here's what seems like it'd be helpful given these things that we've seen going on. I think that's a big opportunity. Um, I mean, I think that there's also some interesting components that when you start to think about uh, more like interfaces and different um, hardware coming out, so like even the Vision Pro coming out from Apple with like the augmented reality, like kind of interesting to think about where that might go to in terms of some like more interactive things that could be worked on like in therapy or some educational tools or things we could as we're explaining it drag and drop it and be playing with that as as we're using it that that's kind of interesting to think about um and then what's you know really interesting is slash a little bit scary because I don't, I don't, I probably don't fully understand the depths of all that it, where it's headed. But when you think about like the brain computer interfaces, that's how, oh, yeah, things like Neuralink, um, things like that. Um, that's pretty wild to think about what that could do. Um, I think for people with, um, limitations, um, or if they have like disabilities or something, I think it could be incredibly helpful. And that's some of what I think the mission is for them, um, to create more access to doing more things in life. Um, but really interesting to think about where that could go in terms of mental health, what that could bring about in terms of understanding, in terms of, um, ways that we can take in and process information. Um, so I, I think all, you know, those, those things, Things are kind of some of what bounce around for me is some things that are probably going to change change how we do things at some point. I don't I don't know at what point that might be, but um, right. But you're most looking forward to those, yeah. I mean, me too. I think all of those. I mean, diagnostics, of course, and including the biomarkers. I think you know, recommending some treatment options. I mean, that sounds pretty interesting as well. I think, uh, and maybe we talked about it also in the past. Um, AI based therapist avatar. I mean, I feel like that's the holy grail. Imagine, you know, everyone could just have a a therapist that, you know, is an avatar, is an AI-based one, and you could just talk and develop that relationship. And, you know, that... uh, 
that is just the holy grail. So what's your prediction on when we could have something like that? On when? That's a that's <laughs> the big question. Because, I mean, we already have like some of the uh, foundations of some of that, right? Like there's the chat bots that are mental health focused or kind of support focused. Like there's Wobot and Wysa and um, groups like that that are doing those type of things. Um, I think right now already they're... Um, probably really helpful for like people that have like mild symptoms or um, pretty manageable things going on. Um, and cause you know, you put in some information, you, they do some diagnostics a little bit, and then they give you some uh, things to be working on. They can give you some responses to what you're sharing. Um, I think what's interesting about therapy is it is this kind of blend of art and science or like this nuance and human side and science. And um, it will be interesting to see how quickly AI can get to that human level. I think that that's the question with AI in all industries, but I think with the AG or when it gets to a human level probably varies differently depending on the industry. And with therapy, there still is a lot of the human, the nuance side, right? So if you're working with someone and all the things that the book says should have been working, that person's still experiencing their symptoms, you know, where, where do you go from there? Or someone that has a lot of complex things and it's not just clearly one thing going on with their mental health, like how do you sift through all that? And um, so that there is that nuance side and, and then the empathy side, right? Where we can attune to a client's emotions. And so that's um, really what uh, AI has to get to. I think I think they can do some like, okay, empathy from what I've seen, like, like repeat back some statements that probably feel pretty supportive and things like that. <laughs> and it get to a place where it feels like empathy, right? And, and maybe it, maybe it can, I know there are some people that are developing relationships already with AI, right? Or kind of feeling connections or emotions to AI. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if I can say an exact year for that. Um, I think it's a little ways out. I think for the near-term future, AI is going to be a great assistant to therapists. And um, does it reach a place where it can kind of become a full-on, you know, autonomous therapist? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I don't I don't know if I can say when that is because it. Um, I think the real question would be when we research, again, going back to the research thing, does how it feels to a person, does, it, does their brain interpret it enough as human, as empathy to create the change, to create that positive impact on their mental health. Um, so I think that's really where, where we have to get to is, is it, is it human enough to convince their brain it's human to convince their brain it's real empathy so that they can really feel it and then see the positive impacts on, on their mental health as a result. No, I love that. I love the way you explained that to me. And I feel like it's also, we may not get there as such, but even if we're like 60, 70% there, that could really democratize access to therapy for especially people in developing countries and train. Yeah. We don't have that many therapists. Um, and I, I am a big believer that everyone needs therapy so that uh, yeah. they could maximize their potential. And, uh, you know, people like Michael Phelps and, you know, other Olympians and so many people have, have gone through therapy. And in fact, even a lot of them in the virtual settings. Um, but it's that question because so much research 
around mental health shows that mental health outcomes are tied to the quality of our relationships. And so that that is the question, the big question with AI and AGI is like, does it get to that level where it convinces a person's brain and their system enough that it is human um, and it is a real relationship to the point that it then benefits their yeah, I don't think it can. I mean, I don't see how, but I guess it it's working for some people. There may yeah. be uh, some sort of you know hypnotism involved in that, and it's it's yeah. possible like to for short periods maybe you do that, but who knows? But I still think it's um, you know we can get get there in the you know in in like the next decade. I think uh, to a point where a lot of people would definitely have have that type of a tool. I, I definitely feel yeah. that that's possible. Yeah, and I and I think that'd be great. Like you said, the w- more widespread, you know, more people getting some tools that they have access to. And again, like I was talking about that that prompting, that reminding to like be doing the stuff. It's good for them. Like you know, if that gets more widespread, I think that's I think that's a great thing. Absolutely. Well, good deal. So, given your entrepreneurial background, what advice do you have for therapists looking to leverage technology to enhance their practices or create innovative solutions for mental health care? So, thought about this some lately. Like, um, there there are some tools out there that make it that are starting to make it really easy for therapists to do their own practice. Um, that make it even if you want to take insurance on and work with insurance companies that make it super simple, super effective. I mean, there are some that are better and more ethical than others. So definitely good to do some research. Um, But there are some tools coming out that are making it so much more simple to be an entrepreneur, to have your own practice than ever before. Um, And especially around telehealth. Um, So there's just so much opportunity. And I, I know there are still a lot of people that that makes them nervous or right they like the consistency of a w2 job and a paycheck and and that's fair and that's you know some people would prefer that but um if you're on the fence i'd say at least explore right there are some great great tools great opportunities um my wife and i she's also a therapist um we transitioned uh last year over into uh running our own practice and uh using some of these tools we had been working on a group practice with someone else and um we've we've loved it it's been so great to to have our own practice um and i and i think also more and more therapists are also thinking about you know they have a good a lot of therapists have a really good knowledge base or, or skill set that can help people and so thinking about the stuff like i was doing with the pair program and panic it's like what what is the thing that you can share with the world that goes beyond just your own therapy practice and is that you know a podcast is that an online course is that um you know a newsletter or um blog that you're doing or you know however however you want to do it and even to monetize some of those things, um, but just to have more more impact. And and again, with those things too, that the tools are there. Like it, it is so easy to build an online course now. It is so easy to start your own podcast. Um, and there, granted, it's more saturated, the market, because more and more people are doing it. Um, but the tools are there, the opportunities there. And um, I think a lot of people are moving that way and just kind of realizing that, you know, I don't, it, it can be hard sometimes to find a place of work or a clinic or something where it, you find that, you know, they treat 
clients amazing. They treat their employees amazing. They give, you know, they pay really well and give good benefits. It can be kind of hard to find all of those things together at a place of work. And so um, it is exciting that there are these opportunities to like go and explore. And even if you want to work with certain populations, you can still do that. Like I'm currently in the process of getting credentialed to uh, work with some Medicaid uh, clients. Um mm-hmm. And so it's like you can you can still serve certain populations even if you're doing it for yourself. You don't necessarily have to do it for a clinic or working for someone else. And do you have to have a license for every state? If you're getting any patient from, let's say, Texas, then would you need to be certified in that state? Yeah, you do. Um, you still do, which is, you know, there's that tension. Like, I, I understand that, but it's we're hoping for more reciprocity between states with that stuff because telehealth, you're kind of still limited in some ways. Like, so I'm, I'm licensed in California and Colorado, so I can only work with clients that live, that are residents of those places. Um, they can live anywhere in those states, so it can be, but if someone reaches out from, you know, New York or North Carolina or something, I can't, I can't work with them as a therapist. Um, and that's another part of the reason what I was saying about the um, course I'm wanting to do. It's like, I can, I can offer an education educational course, right? Something where I don't, it's pre-recorded. I don't have human to human interaction with them. I'm not their therapist, but I can offer them a lot of the tools and skills and education around that stuff. And I, that part, I don't have to be licensed in those States for that. But if I'm going to be their therapist, I have to have that, that licensure. Got it. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's great advice. Okay. Well, um, so you work with a lot of trauma affected adults and um, I know it can be challenging, of course. So how do you personally navigate that emotional toll of the work? And what self-care practices do you find essential in maintaining your own mental well-being? Yeah, no, it, um, that's a good question. It can definitely be heavy some days. And um, my my wife is also a trauma therapist. Um, so, you know, we, we've heard some heavy stories and, and do a lot of days. Um, so... You know, I think I think one thing that helps is um, really, I mean, physically, I would say like, because obviously there's even a lot of sitting or telehealth, there's a lot of sitting and um, looking at a screen. So for me, movement exercise is really important that you, I mean, you can kind of feel some of that stuff building up like the, the you're being stagnant and you're just absorbing or hearing these stories. And I think that's um, something that can happen. You can feel that kind of some days almost. And so to get moving, to get to the gym, to go swim to um we have we have dogs we have you know too many dogs probably so we'll take them for a walk um you know just get out and get moving i think that helps to just let stuff kind of run through you a little bit um take care of your body i think the other thing is um i found my mindfulness and really just mindfulness being even for me, it's just very simple, deep breathing. Um, so, so effective and helpful for just uh, refreshing or to help me through a day, just even 10, five, 10 minutes of it a day. I've been even recently getting back to more consistency with that. That's a really big deal for me in maintaining my own mental health. Um, so even doing some of that in the morning or doing some, some reading or some prayer in the morning is, is helpful, um, for me to kind of prepare for the day and get myself ready and kind of be in a space where, um, I don't know, there, there's an interesting dynamic as a, as a therapist where you really want to connect with people and you want to feel what they feel and attune with them, but without taking it on as your own and finding a way that you can, you know, when the session's over, you can let that slide off of you and keep going with your own life. And so I find 
find some of that morning time and that preparation or getting myself in the right mental space, um, heart space, spiritual space, like it helps me to be able to have more effective days or carry less of that by the end of the day. So I've, I think those are probably some of the, the main things for me. Been trying to also do like a little just at night, like a little three item gratitude thing where I just jot down what I'm thankful for for the day. Just the, the last thing I am thinking about as I drift off is just positive or gratitude. And so I'd, I'd say those are some of the things that I've developed over the years or found work for me just and it can be simple stuff. It doesn't have to be, you know, extravagant or doing it for hours and hours. It can be just little simple stuff that makes a difference. I love that. There's a lot in there for people to learn. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown, by the way. And, yeah. you know, she's uh, from now from UT Austin and yeah. all her books and it's fantastic. And she talks about how there's a therapist or therapists as well. Like, you know, the ones who see just the therapist. So I guess that's that's not required for you. You don't see a therapist of your own. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. I, did, I didn't even mention that part. Like I, you know, I talked about earlier when with my burnout phase, I did therapy and that's something I've, I have continued um, over the years. Not straight through, but I'd say the majority of the time I'm trying to do some sort of therapy or I might take a little break and then get back in it. And I'm actually um, starting back up um, with a new therapist soon too, just to kind of keep stay in a healthy space and keep working on myself. And so, I'm, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that's- that is so fascinating though, because if anyone had any doubt if they need therapy or not, by, you know, you, Ryan, telling that even you have a therapist to maximize your potential, people should know that everybody can benefit from therapy. And I keep, I say that all the time. This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I lo- I'm obviously a big fan of therapy. So, and I want to, um, yeah, it's, it's just good, good for people, I think, especially if you find a good therapist. Um, but it's, my my one friend he's he's also a therapist he he was doing therapy and he said i was asking him what he was going for and he's like well it's just like like i'm eating my vegetables it's like same idea it's just good for me yeah no i like that i like that analogy eating your vegetables you got to do that yeah. well great fantastic ryan thank you so much we've come to the end of our podcast but this yeah. was such an enjoyable session and you know yeah. you and i have talked in the past as well and i i've told you that i'd love to stay in touch and you know Absolutely. would love to have you back on the podcast i mean we're here as entrepreneurs as uh, you know the masters of our field to uh, help bring new solutions to life and make it uh, much better for everyone. So thank you for the part you play. Thank you for all yeah. that you do. And thank you for your time for coming on this podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And it's been great to connect. And thank you for you know being willing to put this out there, have these type of conversations and appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good evening, Ryan. Right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.